tonight then let us return to Acts chapter 14. We're going to look at this whole chapter. We will make reference to the previous chapter also. And the title for the sermon tonight is The Gospel Progresses. The Gospel Progresses. The book of Acts is a record of Christ working through the apostles and the disciples, building his church. This is what this book is all about. The Lord Jesus Christ has certainly left the earthly scene, but he is still building his church. And we have a record of the early Christian church and what they did under the guidance of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that he sent upon the infant church. And the book of Acts can be divided really into two sections. You have section one from chapter one to chapter 12, and it is mainly concerned with the apostle Peter and the church at Jerusalem. At that time, the church was centered in Jerusalem. That's where the head of the church was during that period. And you'll find that in chapters 1 to 12. But from chapter 13 onwards to chapter 28 to the end of the book, there's a different focus. There's a different emphasis. It focuses upon the apostle Paul and his missionary endeavors. And the church's base, if you like, has moved from Jerusalem, and it's now in Antioch in Syria. That's the hub of the church. That's where all the activity is going on. That's the great work of evangelism. It is going on from Antioch in Syria. And chapters 13 and 14, which we read, they outline for us Paul's first missionary journey. He did three journeys in his lifetime, and this is the first one. And we want to look at this journey, and we want to glean some encouragements and lessons for us from the apostle's first missionary journey. And what I intend to do is briefly mention uh, the cities or the places that he went to in chapters 13 and chapter 14. I won't be saying much on them, maybe just a brief word. We want to concentrate upon what happened in Lystra in chapter 14, and then we want to draw some lessons from that. And the first missionary journey. <clears throat> It covered over 1,200 miles, over 1,200 miles, and it lasted for about three to four years, and it took place in A.D. 45 to A.D. 48. And as I said in chapters 13 and 14, several cities are mentioned, and I will briefly go through 
one or two of them. First of all, we have Antioch. This is in chapter 13. This is the base. This is in Syria. And the apostle Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the church on their first missionary journey. And they took with them John Mark. And it's quite remarkable because this would have happened about AD 45, as I said. But when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in AD 56, which was just a decade afterwards, he was able to say something about his missionary endeavors and his journeys. And this is what he says in Romans chapter 15, verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So the gospel under the Apostle Paul in a decade had gone to Jerusalem or gone from Jerusalem and to a place called Irilicum, which is in Macedonia, which is in Europe. Basically, what he's saying there is that the gospel had gone to all the known world within 10 years. It was quite an achievement. But it all began when the Apostle Paul was sent out, along with Barnabas and John Mark, from the church in Antioch in Syria. Next place was Paphos, and there they met a false prophet called Bar-Jesus. And because Paul brought a curse upon him, it led to the salvation of one of the leaders. When they saw what the apostle Paul could do, they began to listen to the gospel, and they became believers. After this, they went to a place called Perga. And what's notable about that place is that John Mark left them. We don't know why. There may be various reasons, but we cannot be certain. But he was on the first missionary journey. But at Perga, he turned back. And then they come to another place called Antioch, another Antioch, not the same as the one in Syria, obviously, but Antioch in Pisidia. And in chapter 13, their visit there dominates what's written in the chapter. And there we have the Apostle Paul. It's his first recorded sermon. He goes into the synagogue. And as he was speaking primarily to Jews and to God-fearing Gentiles, he takes the Scriptures and opened up the Scriptures to them. And he proclaims Christ ultimately when he comes to the end of his message. And then he points the application to them that they might receive Christ as he has freely offered to them in the gospel. He had some success. Many of the Jews believed and many of the devout Gentiles also believed. But as we will notice, as I'm sure you'll know, there was also opposition. Many of the Jews were envious that on the next Sabbath, when the Apostle Paul was going to preach in this place called Antioch, the whole city was there. They were crowded out, and they were full of envy. And then they began to persecute the Apostle Paul and his colleagues. 
In chapter 14, we come to Iconium, and there he was going to be stoned because, again, the, the Jews were envious of him and the message he was proclaiming. And instead of being stoned, he goes on to Lystra, which I shall speak on later on. And then the last place we would notice in chapter 14 is a place called Derby. We don't know exactly what happened there. We know he preached and we know he taught many, but how successful it was, we cannot tell. The Bible does not elaborate on that place. But Lystra, a very interesting place for us. And this is what dominates this chapter 14 that we read, his visit to Lystra. Lystra was in the Roman province of Galatia. And there he spent some time. And Paul actually made three visits to Lystra. This is the first one we notice here. But on another visit, this, on another visit to Lystra, that's when he enlisted Timothy to join with him on his second missionary journey. And we want to look particularly at the section there that deals with the crippled man who was healed. And where do we find that? Well, we find that from verses 8 and onwards. We find here, And there was a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak. It's very interesting there, the word speak is not the word for preaching. There are one or two words that we use particularly for preaching but that's not the word used there. The word used there in Greek is lalio, to speak. And it is likely that the Apostle Paul was not actually preaching the gospel in a formal sense like what we're seeking to do now. More than likely, he was in the marketplace and he might have been in conversation with one or two individuals where he was, we might say, gossiping the gospel not proclaiming it from a pulpit like this, but simply drawing alongside people and introducing Christ and his claims upon their lives. And it so happened that this man heard. And the Apostle Paul, we're told, steadfastly looking at him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. There, the the Apostle Paul was using every opportunity he had to proclaim the gospel. If the synagogue wasn't available, he would go to the marketplace. He would go wherever he could, wherever people were, and he would, as far as he was enabled, to speak something of the Son of God and of his, and of his coming to this world to seek and to save that which was lost. We have then the crowd's response to the crippled man. They see a wonderful, glorious miracle, and no one could deny it. Tremendous miracle was here. Here was someone who was a cripple from birth. It's not that he was diseased. He was totally crippled, and they all knew it. But instantly, suddenly, he was leaping and dancing and walking about. He was a new man. And these people were somewhat superstitious, and they believed that here were gods in the flesh visiting them. And you have read what would happen there. They wanted to sacrifice to them. 
the priest of Jupiter. He would have been highly delighted to think that the gods had visited his patch, and he was going to make a, a meal out of it, as it were. He was going to bring some glory to himself and to his priesthood, and they were going to sacrifice to, in honor to Paul and to Barnabas. Now, the apostle Paul and Barnabas, many people who were not genuine would love this. They would love this acclaim. They would love this applause. They would love this attention, and they would milk it as best as they could. But of course, Paul and Barnabas were sincere servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they would have nothing to do with it. They said, we are men just like you with the same passions. And they used that opportunity again to preach the gospel. And this time they began by taking the, the fact of creation. They didn't use the Old Testament scriptures here because these people were Gentiles, pagans, and they knew nothing about the Old Testament scriptures. But they began what they did know. And the Apostle Paul reminded them about the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways, and so on. They had a hard job. The people were determined to sacrifice to them, but gladly they did not. But afterwards, what do we find? Jews from Antioch and Iconium came, and they stirred up the people. And the people who were a day or two before were going to sacrifice to these people and honor them, were now going to kill them. Such is public opinion. One moment, you're great. The next moment, you're down. That's the way it is with public opinion. And the Apostle Paul was stoned on this occasion. Now, commentators are not agreed, as you might believe, because very often commentators are not agreed on things. And some commentators maintain that the Apostle Paul actually was dead here. He was dead. But the disciples gathered round, we're told in verse 20, howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. This was quite remarkable. Someone who had been stoned and dragged out of the city, suddenly to come out of that and to suddenly walk about and go back into the city, this was, in some sense, miraculous. And then, after that incident, what do we find? They begin to make their way back uh, to Antioch and to Syria, and, and Antioch and Syria. And they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and, and to Antioch. And what did they do? They're confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. That was part of the return visit. They worked their way back, and they began to strengthen and encourage 
the congregations that they had started on their missionary journey. Well, we want to draw one or two lessons. I have actually more than one or two lessons, but I can assure you it's only bullet points and we're not going to extend our time inordinately. But we do have one or two lessons that we can draw from their behavior on the first missionary journey. And some of them will be absolutely plain and obvious to each and every one of us. First of all, then, they went out and they preached. There was a church in Antioch in Syria. It was there they were first called Christians. And they were gathered together. They were worshiping the Lord. And we find in the beginning of chapter 13 that there they get the word from the Holy Spirit, separate Saul or Paul and Barnabas to the work which I have called them. And after this happened, what do we find? The church gather and they send out Paul and Barnabas, who take with them John Mark to go out with the gospel. And this is surely incumbent upon the Christian church today. We have the gospel. We have the word of God. We have all that's required from a human perspective, and we cannot contain it to the four walls of the church. We must get out with it. This is, this is part of the commission. We know, obviously, as we shall look upon it, there is scope and there is a requirement that we gather together. Yes, of course. But nevertheless, the early church, recognizing the mission, recognizing the tremendous mission field that was before them and the commission that the Lord Jesus Christ had given to them, they went out and they preached the gospel. What else do we notice? Well, it was Paul's practice that he went, first of all, to the large centers of populations. He went to the major places. He didn't go to small places where the, there wasn't a great population. He went to the large centers of population, and inevitably he would head towards a synagogue. And he would bring the gospel first and foremost to the Jews, because there he, know, he knew he would get some kind of audience who would be able to resonate with what he was saying. And in the synagogue, there would be Jews, of course, and there would have been devout Gentiles or proselytes. And therefore, he had, in some sense, a ready-made audience who would be able, to some extent, to listen, to hear, and to understand, and to make some sense of the gospel. Now, of course, he was concerned about other places as well, but his principle was, go to the large cities, establish the cause there, and then let the local believers in that city, they would evangelize the towns, the villages, the hamlets, roundabout. That was their priority. He was going to the, go to the major centers, and the work would begin from there. Also, they went to where people gathered. 
primarily the synagogues. But if there was no synagogues, he would go to wherever the meet, whether it be in the marketplace or whatever. He wasn't a lone preacher. He didn't go where there was no people. He went to where the people gathered. He wanted people to hear this because people must hear. This is, this is the, a message from heaven itself. And therefore, he sought out a place where the largest amount of people could hear him at any given time. We would also notice that he tailored his preaching. He preached the same gospel. Let's be clear about this. But if there were Jews before him, he would be able to use the scriptures because they were familiar with the scriptures. He was able to take the Old Testament. He was able to open it up to and explain it to them. And in the Old Testament, he was able to reveal Christ in the Old Testament to them and then impress upon them in his application the claims of Christ upon their lives. But when he came across a Gentile congregation or gathering who did not have this what we might say today in our own terms, a church background or a Christian education background, he started with things that they could see around them, like creation. And he, he preached the same gospel. He would lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another thing we need to notice they knew success. They knew success. To many of the places he went, like these Gentiles who were ignorant of the Scriptures, it was truly virgin territory. But when he preached the gospel, he knew success. There was always converts. Always. Everywhere he went, some more than others, that is true. But there was always some effect. There was always some positive effect. People were saved, and they knew this wonderful success. Verse 1 of chapter 14 tells us, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. This is something that we should pray for. This is something that we should expect. Yes, we can say we live in the days of small things, and that's true. And we, we depend upon the sovereignty of God. Again, that is true. But where the gospel is proclaimed, we should expect and look for and long for success. And success is, yes, it is conviction of sin, but it's also conversion. That's success, and that's what he knew. And this is something that we should pray for and long for and expect. They also 
their new opposition. Maybe we've got some kind of false picture in our heads concerning the preaching of the gospel. We think somehow that everything's going to be rosy. You preach the gospel, you you preach the word of God, and surely people's going to listen and hear, and they're going to accept. Well, some will hear and some will accept. That's true. But you will also find opposition wherever they went. There was opposition. Whatever town or city they went to, there was all kinds of disruption. The Apostle Paul and his preaching shook the cities. As one said in the Bible, they turned the world upside down. And that's what happens. And if there's no opposition, we must wonder if the gospel is being proclaimed. Now, we don't look for opposition. It's not something we want, but it's, it's a natural byproduct of the faithful proclamation of the gospel. You will find there is opposition. They also knew disappointment. We could think of that particular incident with John Mark. He left them. We're glad to say that he was restored. At once, once upon a time, after the first, after when John Mark left them, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark again, and Paul wouldn't have him because he was detrimental to the ministry. But after that, somehow, we don't know how, but John Mark was reconciled, and the Apostle Paul would have him and considered him useful for the ministry. But on their first, first missionary journey, they had this disappointment. John Mark threw the towel in. It was too much for him. And if you're involved in gospel work, friends, you'll find that disappointments will come. Not just oppositions, you can expect that, but even disappointments. Notice, too, that their preaching brought division. Everywhere they went, there was divisions. There were people who believed, and there were people who didn't believe. It was a clear division. There was no one on the, sitting on the fence. They were either believers or they were unbelievers. There was a great division everywhere he went with the preaching of God's Word. They also found that the preaching united their enemies. We find that in the gospel. The enemies of Christ, who were there? They were the Herodians, they were the Pharisees, they were the Sadducees. These individuals didn't like each other. The Pharisees didn't like the Sadducees, and vice versa. And the Herodians would have nothing to do with the Pharisees. But they all combined against the Savior. Enemies combined against the gospel. And that's what happened when the Apostle Paul went forth to preach the gospel. We find it there in verse 5 of chapter 14. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews, here's the Gentiles and the Jews coming together 
They themselves were naturally at enmity one with another, but they came together in order that they might mistreat the apostles. Another thing to notice, friends, is they knew when it was the time to stop. There was no one who loved to preach the gospel like the Apostle Paul, and he would use every opportunity. But there came some occasions when, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to move on. Verse 6 of chapter 14, they were aware of it. What were they aware of? Well, they were aware, as verse 5 tells us, that the Gentiles and the Jews were going to use them despitefully, and they were going to stone them. Well, the Apostle Paul wasn't going to have this. When they were aware of it, they fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Iconia. And there is a time to stop. If the gospel's not received, and if the response of those who hear and of the opposition is, it would turn to violence. And that will be a time to shut the Bible and stop proclaiming God's word and shake the dust off your feet. They were ones who knew when it was time to stop. Also, we would notice they were not just concerned about getting or making disciples. They were also concerned about discipling the disciples. We find that when they made their way back to Antioch and Syria, they visited the churches they called in to see how they were doing. They would gather the churches together and to see how the new converts were. It was not enough just to get them to be converted, as it were. They wanted them to be built up in their most holy faith, and they wanted them to go on in the faith, that they might be established. So the Apostle Paul was not just concerned about getting numbers and getting people to profess faith and just leave them. He was interested in their eternal well-being. He wanted to establish them in the Christian faith. He wanted to disciple them. He wanted to take the whole commission that the Lord Jesus Christ gave. What was it? To go and to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That was part of his commission, not just to start churches, or to make disciples, but to have people there growing up in the faith. And therefore, he ordained elders in the cities that these congregations might be established. And we've noticed that when he came back, he gave a report to the church that sent him. The church in, in Antioch, in Syria, we find that towards the end of chapter 14, they gather together. Why did they gather together? Well, surely they gathered together because they were interested. They were interested in the work of mission. They had sent these brethren out 
some two or three years or three or four years before. And now they were back in their vicinity and they wanted to hear how they got on, how it was for them when they went on this round trip journey of over 1,600 miles. They wanted to hear about what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing. There was an interest in the gospel, in Christ building his church. And therefore, they were able to rehearse, as it says, all that God had done with them. And here is really what I want to draw my time to a close. In all that activity, they give glory to God. They were but instruments. It was what God was doing through them. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. The gospel progresses. <clears throat> As I draw my time to a close, I want to highlight something that's just come on the news this last day or so. And we have the findings of the 2021 census for England and Wales have just been released. And someone has said, a writer has commented this a quote here, a watershed that has now been reached in the continuing decline of Christianity within the United Kingdom. For the first time, fewer than half the population of England and Wales identifies as Christian, with a number describing themselves as non-religious, almost trebling since the millennium. While self-described Christians have declined by 17%, there has been a 43% rise in the number of people who say they follow Islam. End of quote. We are living in a glorious opportunity for mission, and we don't need to go to the ends of the earth. The mission's on our doorstep. If things don't change, if people don't respond to the gospel and turn, we're in for a terrible time. We'll be under Islam. Self-described Christians have declined by 17%, a 43% increase in the number of people who say they follow Islam. This is our missionary prayer meeting. We must pray. We must do what we can in order that the tide might stop and that the Lord would move and work in our day and generation. You know, the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey provides encouragement for the 21st century church to be actively engaged in local evangelism. 
What a world he was facing. What was it he was facing? Yes, he had the Jews. He had Judaism, corrupt Judaism to face. But before him was idolatry. That's what was all around him, idolatry. And he and his colleagues went forth with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit of God, and he proclaimed a message that turned the world upside down. We are living in the same kind of environment, and the church needs to be active, and we need to long for the gospel to make progress as it did in the first century.